right, good morning. Good to see all of you. So thankful that you've chosen to worship with us today. Thanks to all of you that are gathered online. Really grateful for you. Let's just begin with uh, prayer this morning as we get started. So would you bow your head and let's pray. I'm just going to give you a few minutes just to be alone with God. Lord, we have um, we've gathered here to lift high the name of Jesus, to entreat your face, to give what we have, the best of our ability to bring you glory and honor. And uh, Lord, as we open your word, we need to hear from you. There's really no one else that we need to hear from. So by your spirit, through your truth, would you speak to us? Each one of us, give us ears to hear and eyes to see the things you want us to hear and see and understand today. Help us to walk differently as we leave, simply because you spoke to us. God, I pray that you would do things today that we could never plan or manufacture on our own in the hearts and lives of people. You know every one of them everything they're going through. Help them know the truth. Help them walk toward it. Guide them by your spirit. We pray all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we are actually finishing part one of Revelation today, which has all about, been all about messages to the churches Next week, we're going to begin part two, which we're going to start talking and looking about at Revelation from the standpoint of a new exodus. And I'll explain that next week, but it's important that you just begin, begin to realize from we're moving next week, we're moving from the seven churches now to a, a different aspect of Revelation. Same letter, but you're going to see a, a shift, a, a difference. And Revelation is not a code to be cracked. It's very clear uh, in the book of Revelation that there are some things that Jesus wants to reveal to us. It's not hidden, but it's revealed to us. And there are several things that we see that we, we learn in the book of Revelation. We learn about the person of Jesus. We learn about the power of Jesus. We learn about the program of Jesus to restore all things. And we learn that we are living in a world hostile to Jesus and in need of restoration. Those are the big chunks, the big things that we understand and reveal and, and are revealed to us, but Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22, which is where we are today, is a message to the church at Laodicea. And this letter is so poignant and appropriate for our day. It is possible for a church to get confused about its measure of success, or, or maybe to have a view of itself that lacks discernment completely and in fact is in sharp contrast to what Jesus would say about that particular church. And that's what's going on at Laodicea. 
And so what I want to do is give you some background again so that you can understand the letter as we, as we read it. And if, you're, if this is your first day sort of parachuted into our, our series on Revelation, this is a message to G, from Jesus to a specific church, in this case, Laodicea. He knows this church. So let me give you some background on uh, Laodicea, and then we will, we will go from there. So let me show you the map again. The reason I keep showing you this map is I want you to see this is a real place that we're talking about. And so these are postal routes uh, and trade routes that you're looking at in red, and each one of those green dots is a particular city. Laodicea is the most central and sort of to the south, the green dot there. And there are three towns near Laodicea. Well, Laodicea is one, there is Hierapolis, and there is Colossae, which you've heard of probably because we have the book of Colossians in our Bibles, a letter written to uh, Colossae. Now, Let's, uh, let's just think about this for, for just a minute. So Colossae. Colossae is at the base of a mountain called Mount Cadmus. So um, if, you, if you go to Colossae and you kind of climb up on the tell and you look back at the mountain, you're looking at this beautiful, like, snow-peaked mountain and from it comes this like crystal clear spring water out of that mountain and and Colossae is known for this cold refreshing spring water it's it's amazing second Hierapolis I want to get you guys to show me those pictures that I gave you and let's just run through these so this is kind of the region you can see that and that's one of our groups in a hot air balloon so if you want to go to Turkey see what I did there uh this is you September 11 to 21 Lord Lord willing but this is the area that we're talking about Mount Cadmus is there in the background next picture this is Hierapolis and what Hierapolis is known for. So it's modern day Pamukkale, but this looks like snow, but it's not snow. It's actually travertine and Hierapolis is known for hot springs. So if you like walk down into those pools of what looks like icy cold water, it's actually really hot. And so it's healing. In fact, the whole world goes to Pamukkale, and in the Roman time period that we're talking about, the whole world went to Hierapolis for many things, but one of the reasons was the healing waters, the warm spring waters of Hierapolis. One more picture, I think. This is just some archaeology that's Mount Cadmus in the background. You can see the area that we're, we're talking about. The reason I show you that is because I want you to know it's real. This is not made up, but this is a real location, a real geography. Now, Laodicea... In that triangle, in the time period that we're talking about, is the most wealthy city in that region. It's along uh, the Lycus River Valley, and the trade route goes right by uh, Laodicea, which gives it a, a lot of opportunity to make, make money. It, it, it is a zone that is uh, prone to earthquakes. So there are one, two, three, four, five earthquakes between 27 B.C. to 60 A.D., so 27 BC, there's an earthquake, destroys Laodicea. The government, Rome, comes in, gives them stimulus money to rebuild the city. Same thing happens in 17 BC. Rome comes in, gives them stimulus money to rebuild the city. By the time we get to the first century, there's about 120,000 people at Laodicea. So it's, it's a big town. 
in that place. By, uh, we get to 26 AD. Laodicea now is vying among three other cities in the Roman, in the Roman Asia Minor sort of area for, uh, to be Neochorus for the emperor, which I know I'm throwing out a lot of data, but Neochorus is just the center of imperial worship for a particular emperor. Right, so they vie for that with Sardis, and I believe Smyrna, and they don't get it, and they think they should have gotten it because they're they they view themselves as the best city of all of those, the most opulent, the most wealthy. We've got the best; it's the best view of all of those particular cities. It should be ours. It 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 would have brought more prestige, more money. Uh, as people came to pay homage to Caesar. But at the end of the day, Smyrna wins the contest. And, and Neochorus is not coming to Laodicea. 60 AD. This is really important, I promise. 60 AD. There's another earthquake. This time, Rome comes with stimulus checks. And Laodicea says, no thanks, we'll build it ourselves. Because you didn't pick us for Neochorus, we don't want your money. Get out, right? And so uh, they snub Rome uh, in a huge way. It's an important piece, so just hold on to that. Five things that you need to know about Laodicea in order to understand the letter that we're going to read. Number one, Laodicea is a banking center. It's a banking center. They mint their own coins. They, have, they are the banking center for the region. It's part of what makes them wealthy. They have a financial system there. Think Wall Street and the Lycus River Valley, and this is the banking center that you're talking about in Laodicea. Second, they have a medical school. You might not think of, of towns in, you know, uh, 95 AD having a medical school, but Laodicea has a a key medical school for the entire region of Phrygia. And they're known for an eye salve that they developed there named Calerium, which was used all over the Roman Empire. They're world-renowned for ophthalmology. Uh, There's a guy, you might name your kid this one day, Demosthenes. Anybody thinking about that one? Uh, Demosthenes wrote a textbook on the eye that was used until the Middle Ages. So you're talking about a textbook that was used from like 60 AD to 1000 AD. How many of you have ever had a textbook last, you know, that long? I mean, the content must have been incredible. And you can Google that if you think I'm making it up. Ask Rabbi Google. You'll find Demosthenes. Demosthenes there. Third thing that you need to know. So banking center, medical school, specifically focused on the eye. They developed this ISAV calerium. Third thing you need to know is that from Laodicea, you could buy a rare high-end black wool cloak. That's really important because it's the only place in the region you could buy these black wool cloaks because of the sheep in that region had really black, silky wool. So they made a lot of money distributing these cloaks. It's like if you were in Rome one day, you saw someone in a black cloak, you knew they got that from Laodicea. It's a big deal. Fourth thing you need to know about Laodicea is they have a water distribution issue. So if like Hierapolis is known for these hot springs that are healing and refreshing and Colossae is known for this cool mountain spring water that is refreshing, uh, 
Laodicea, not so much. So when you go to Laodicea, you can even see archaeology that points to all of this. So there's an aqueduct coming from like five miles away, bringing water into Laodicea because they don't have a good source. When you get to Laodicea, those of you that are engineers in the room, what you'll see is archaeology that is the best way to describe it would be like a water tower with a system of pipes inside of it. So it's moving water all around. And when you look at the archaeology of these water pipes, they're completely and totally corroded with all the, the minerals that were in that water that, that they brought five miles away. So two things happen. One, bringing the water in the sun on top of an aqueduct for five miles makes the water like lukewarm, tepid. And the other thing is it was full of minerals. And so to drink it straight up made you sick. It was vomitous. That's just geography. That's just what the way that it, the way that it was in the text will point to that uh, today. And then finally, you need to know that Laodicea is a throne city. This is the fifth thing that you need to know. It's a throne city for the family Xenoid. You can also Google them if you think that's that's crazy as well. Uh, they are a kingship family in Cilicia. So their hometown is Laodicea. But Mr. Xenoid, he became king of that particular region. He was not the king of kings. That's Caesar. But he, he was the king of that particular region. And all his boys got kingships all over the Roman Empire as well. This is a kingly family. And Laodicea is a throne city. Okay, stand with me. Ready? Enough data. I hope you got all that down. Did it fit in the little notes in the worship guide right there? It's tough. Revelation chapter 3, 14 to 22. Jesus writes this to the church at Laodicea. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you either be cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing but realizing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and, a, and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and eat with him and he with me one who conquers I will grant him to sit with me on the throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Could be seated. All right. So this letter is broken down into several, several key parts. The same pattern that we have in every letter in Revelation chapter two and chapter three to the churches, except the unique thing about the letter at the church of Laot to the church of Laodicea is they get no commendation from Jesus. No commendation. There is no good. You're doing this great, guys. None of that. They are also the only church written to in, the, in these seven letters. They're the only church that is not facing any persecution at all. That's unique. 
All right, so there's no condemnation here. Jesus introduces him this way, himself this way to them in the statement of revelation. He says he's the amen. He's the so be it. He says he's the faithful and true witness, that he's faithful unto death, that he's the beginning or by which all things have been created, that he's the true resurrected Lord. All he's saying to them is brace yourself because I am the one who can tell you the truth about you. I will tell you the truth. Okay? So this is Jesus's church in Laodicea. It's written to Christian people in the city of Laodicea. Statement of criticism is what we get next. Verse 15 to 16. Let's go back to it in the context of the scripture. Verse 15, it says, I know your works. Again, we're back to he knows how they're operating. He knows what they do either, every day. You're neither, hot, you're neither cold nor hot. Would that you would be either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now here, he says he knows their deeds and he uses a geographic illustration to make a point. This is very, very Jesus, using the things around them that everybody knows to make a really clear point. What he's saying is that you're not the hot water of Hierapolis. Like Hierapolis is hot water and it's healing and it's good, but you're not like that. You're not the cold water of Colossae that is refreshing and thirst quenching. That's good. Hot is good. Cold is good. I wish that you would either be hot or cold, but you're neither one of those things. You're like your water system. The kind that's full of minerals and is tepid. And when you drink it, it doesn't taste good to drink. And it makes your stomach sick. That's what you're like as a church. That's what he says to them. And because you're like that, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. Now, I think if you're in Laodicea, gathered in a house hearing this, church, this letter read from Jesus, the crucified Lord, penned by the hand of John, the, the bishop of all the churches of Asia Minor, and you hear no condemnation and that this church makes Jesus sick. You instantly are, are hopefully convicted I mean, maybe they're numb, but hopefully convicted. Hopefully their eyes begin to open as they hear this statement of criticism. He goes on to say in verse 17, you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Remember, they're facing no persecution. They have a banking center. They have a medical center. They have all this, this black wool cloak. They have, they have all that stuff. They say, I need nothing. This is the words of Jesus. You know, the riches of a city can change the affections of a church. Did you know that? The riches of a city can change the affections of a church because we're living in the city, right? We get the, we're a part of it. The church is not this building. The church is us. And the riches of a city can affect the affections of, of a church. And you can see it if you globally travel, if you, if you travel to impoverished parts of the world and you see the church gathered, let's just say, under a tree or in a cave. 
where they're impoverished. Maybe some of them don't even come with shoes. And yet, and yet they burn white hot for the glory of Christ and for the good of people. And you go to other places in the world and you can see they have everything. Lavish campuses, beautiful buildings, incredible professionally paid staff. And they are tepid. Lukewarm for Christ. The affections of a city can change your affections if you're not careful. And in this particular case, the church has embarked at Laodicea. The church has embraced the gospel of the world more than the gospel of the kingdom. It's like they they redefined what the good life was instead of embracing the good life that Jesus laid out for them. I am the way, I am the true, I am the life. Instead they said, no, I want some of that. No, I want some of that. No, if I had this, then this would be the good life. In fact, if you go to Laodicea, I can, can, it's like a 90% probability that you're sitting in the house church where they received this letter, this, this place that we sit. And of all the other houses, the other houses are like small in comparison. We sit in this courtyard with columns and everything. This is the house that the church is meeting is beautiful. The affections of the city impacted the affections of the church. And, and Jesus calls it out here. The, the church is, has, has, has forsaken what is true prosperity biblically for worldly prosperity. So listen to what, what Jesus says to him here. This is still in the statement of uh, criticism. You go to verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. It's like your view of yourself is so wrong, according to Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying. You think you're, you're wealthy, but you don't even have clothes. You'd say you're wealthy, but you're poor. You say you have it all, but you're pitiable and wretched. This is the words of Jesus to his church. Now, the, the problem is they don't rely on Jesus anymore. They became opposite of who they thought they were. They were wrecked by their own affluence. Wandered away from Jesus without even intending to do so. And sometimes a church is not a faithful witness. Jesus always is, but a church sometimes is not a faithful witness. So here's the second thing that we learn. You know, if, if, if it's true that a church may hold a distorted view of itself contrary to the view of Jesus. The second thing we learn is that to be restored, the church must repent and shift its affections. Now we begin to see this in what is uh, what I would call the statement of command in Revelation chapter 3, 18 to 19. Here's what Jesus says to them. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. I mean, just listen to the irony of this. You bankers, you with the banking center, you who mint your own coins, I counsel you, buy from me gold that is refined by fire so that you can truly be rich because right now you're poor. It goes on to say this. And why don't you buy from me white garments? Now, this is a, This is a town known for 
black wool clothing. Why don't you buy for me white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And you think you walk around in these expensive black cloaks. You need to buy some white ones from me because you're naked spiritually. This is Laodicea. He goes on to say this. And also buy for me salve to anoint your eyes that, that you may see. This is a, this is a medical center, a, 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 the place for ophthalmology, the place where calerium was developed to, to heal all the diseases of the eyes and is used all over the world. And he says, you need to buy a different kind of salve. You think you can see, but you're blind. I would counsel you to buy for me salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Jesus knows this place. He knows these people. Now, here's what I love about Jesus. All that is harsh from Jesus to his church. All of that is harsh, but this is where it turns. And this is what I love about Jesus. And to me, like, I've been all those things. I've been Laodicea. I've been to all of those things, but here's where, here's where it turns. Verse 19, this is still under statement of command. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. This is his command. Look, I'm saying these hard things to you because I love you. You're mine. I don't want you to be blind. I don't want you to be naked. I don't want you to be poor. I don't want you to define success the wrong way. I don't want you to mess up what true prosperity is, what the real good life is. You're you're squandering what you should have. Buy from me the things that are good. Do you know Jesus offers prosperity for free? For completely no money. It's free. Isaiah 55, 1 to 3, Jesus is like, you who are poor, come buy from me. And the thing is, I don't know if we believe it. We do whatever we can to make a good life for ourselves. And all the things that Jesus is saying, buy, we just kind of shelve or don't even pursue. And the things that we do pursue, those things don't even, they, they pale in comparison to what you already have in Jesus. And Jesus is just saying, like, you should be zealous for repentance. Turn back to me. Turn away from your worldly pursuits and turn back to me. Only criticism. It's out of love, but only criticism. Criticism. One rabbi told his disciple. Make sure you repent the day before you die. The disciple asked, how do I know when that is? The rabbi said, exactly. We should be zealous for repentance. Now, third thing we learn and and hear, and this comes in the statement of conclusion, is that Jesus invites his wayward church to reconcile with him. If you'll look at... uh, Verses, we'll start at verse 19 again. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Look at verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door 
and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, this verse has been preached with the right intent and the out of context so many times. Like, for all you lost people out there, Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. And this is for church people. Church people who turn Jesus outside their church. He's outside the door. Is that crazy or what? He's outside the door. He's standing at the door and knocking. It's not like he's busting down the door. He doesn't operate that way. He's knocking. And look what, he, look what his intent is. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, just, just, just let me back in my church. He turned me outside. If anyone open, opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, this imagery is incredible. I just want you to think about a couple of things. The Lord's Supper. You set a table. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Eat with me. The end of Revelation, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Everything is restored. There's this huge wedding banquet. Jesus says, hey, eat with me. Right here to the church of Laodicea that is so out of focus, so wrong, so in sin. He's saying like, look, I'm outside the door. I'm knocking. If you open the door, I'll come in and I'll sit with you and we will have a meal of reconciliation. We will get it right. We will work it out. We will break bread together and we will be good again. This is the grace of Jesus to his church. Oh my goodness. And it applies to you as a person too. Sometimes you put Jesus outside the door of your Christian life. He's not going to the door. If you just open the door, he'll come in. You repent. He reconciles. He makes that reconciliation work happen. He, do you hear the heart of Jesus? I'd really like to sit down and eat with you. It's like one of the most intimate things that you can do. One of the, the, the most close communal things that we can have. And Jesus is just inviting his wayward church to reconcile with him. Now, verse 21 goes on. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat, sat down with my father on his throne. Remember I told you this is a throne city of the, the, the family Xenoid, right? Jesus is saying, look, I know you got a throne. I know you got a king. Church, I'm inviting you to sit on a different throne with a better king. Come and sit with me on my throne. There's so much hope there. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, which is also in a wealthy place. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. And see, here's the deal. Jesus for his church became the poorest of the poor. He died for us. He rose again, defeating the penalty of sin and death. He, you know, just the leaving the throne room of God and being born in a shepherd's cave. He's instantly the poorest of the poor. It says he lived in Nazareth, a no-name town. Shootsville is how it translates. Nazareth. Is there anything good from Shootsville? Jesus of Shootsville? Common name from Shootsville? This is poor. It says later in the gospel, he didn't have a place to lay his head. He he became poor so that you might become rich. And what he's saying to the church of Laodicea is you're you're chasing riches and you're missing the riches that I already bought for you and, and am giving to you freely. See, the affections of a city can shift the affections of a church. And that's what happened in Laodicea. And I think of all the seven letters, at least in our region, this is the letter that the church of Jesus Christ in large cities in Texas needs to consider. Needs to consider. Have our affections shifted? Is our view of the good life Contrary to Jesus' view of the good life. Come by from me, Jesus says. He or she who has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. Just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Jesus, we know, because we just read your word, we know it's easy to become a, a church that measures success in the wrong way. We know that our affections can shift. We know that we pursue life. Sometimes it is not the life that you call us to pursue. All with good intent. Sometimes we put you outside the door of our lives and of our church, not even realizing we do. So Father, may we, may we as a church, may we receive this rebuke if we, if we need it, where we need it, how we need it. Make us quick to repentance. Father, forgive us. Forgive us as a people 
when we have pursued the affections of our city over the affections of heaven. God, we invite you in. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We do open the door. Come in. Reconcile with us. Eat with us. We want to be with you. We want to live your way. Speak to us as a church. Speak to us as people that are part of that church. God, just show us, even in the the days ahead, show us the ways we need to repent and return to you. Lord, if you wrote a letter to our church, what would it say? What would it say? We bless your name. You're the King of kings and Lord of lords. You're greater than all. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.